This Father's Day, the Home Depot has same-day delivery on the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. Let the Home Depot help power dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. For everything dad is, find the perfect gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Order select and stock items by 4 p.m. subject to availability. Denny Hamlin's trying to block all lanes. He's to the outside, to the inside, to the checkered flag. Denny Hamlin has won the Daytona 500. A one, two, three sweep for Joe Gibbs Racing. This is the greatest victory I've ever had, period, in my life. Better than Super Bowls. Better than Super Bowls, better than championships in racing. This was the most emotional and the best win for me ever because of JD and his life and the kind of life he lived. Well, welcome to NASCAR America. Steve Letarte here at the NBC Charlotte studios with Jeff Burton, three-time Daytona 500 winner Dale Jarrett. Guys, it's a great American race. We knew it was going to change someone's career. But, DJ, I can't remember a race with this much emotion at the end. Obviously, Coach talking about the loss of his son, J.D., just a few weeks ago. Such a key member of that organization. You drove there. What were your thoughts? Uh, I think as I sat and watched it yesterday afternoon and in those final laps, and it kept showing Coach Gibbs and – knowing the story there and being a part of that organization as it started, seeing J.D. come in uh, to be a huge part of making all of this happen. He knew nothing about running a race team, but he was able to jump in there and, and do so many good things. And J.D. Gibbs was one of the finest young men that I ever knew in my entire life. And he was just a good person. He did so many good things. And um, it, it was good to see good things happen. You talk about that. Coach Gibbs has done a lot for a lot of people, and uh, you could just tell this one meant more to him than anything that's ever happened. Yeah, they, they've, they've worked hard to uh, share J.D.'s life with other people and yeah. to, you know, you hear so many things great about J.D. Well, this gave them another opportunity to do that, to remind everyone what a great person J.D. was. You saw it from Denny. You obviously saw it from his father and all the emotion. All his children were there. I mean, that's just a great day for those guys in a terrible time. I mean, a yeah. time that – you know, just, you know, breaks your heart to know what that all of those guys are going through. But to, to be able to celebrate on this day and do it with J.D. on the A-Post, uh, that's, that's a really, really special moment. Well, you guys talk about what type of a person he was, and we could fill a show with, yeah. with his accolades. But I think on the professional side, it's, it's worth noting, remember, you know, he found Denny Hamlin. Denny Hamlin would not be at Joe Gibbs Racing. I think yeah. that's very safe to say without J.D.'s influence. They created that 11 car. I mean, his fingerprints are completely over that race car. To see that specific Joe Gibbs car has to make a difference. Yeah, yeah. He was competing against him somewhat uh, in driving some late model races and things like that. And, you know, saw this young man in Denny Hamlin. And, uh, you know, Denny was running. He was about out of money uh, at that point in time. And J.D. went back and told his dad. He said, this is somebody we need to put in something soon. Uh, we need to have him in our organization. And don't forget that that, that program was in trouble. It's easy to forget how much trouble that 11 car was having and how bad they were running. They were missing races. They were having all kinds of issues. Denny Hamlin came in and cleaned that up. He had made a major influence in, in, in getting that car where it was running well. That was a major sponsor that was missing races, was having a bad time. Uh, things weren't going well at all. Yeah. 
And they, you know, they, they put a lot of trust in a very young, very <laughs> yes. young Denny Hamlin. And Denny Hamlin answered the call. Well, I think that answers the emotion of the moment, but it's still the Super Bowl of auto racing. And DJ, it shocked me. I think the turning point of this whole race was had to be that last restart. It shocked me that we saw teammates work together on that final restart. <laughs> Five miles from running the Daytona 500. So before we break it down, I think the best thing we can do is let's listen into the conversation between the 18 and the 11. Let Denny have the top and let him down. So we keep the 22 behind us both and uh, take the push from the 22. Or we have the option, obviously, to take the top and see if we can get a push from the 34. So him take top and me let him down? That's the option. Okay, let's do that. Fine. So that's a yes, I'm assuming? Yes. Adam suggesting that we do the teammate restart us choose top, he'll let us down. I'm good with it, he's just gonna be you know, true to it, that he's gonna let me in. We're resuming the Daytona 500. Denny Hamlin gets a huge shove from Michael McDowell. Hamlin will cross over, he'll get in front of Kyle Busch and now he's gonna try to block both lanes. We made a deal with the 11 to let him down, so um, you know, in doing that it was strength in numbers trying to keep us all together and Nothing, there's not enough cars for anything to materialize. There's six cars out there, so I probably knew better, but took that chance to make sure at least one of us won. We did exactly what we said we were going to do, work together uh, the entire race until 10 laps to go, and then let's, let's go out there and try to get a win. Um, so we, uh, you know, I, I know that he wants it bad. I, I understand, you know, the, the fire that he has to, to win the Daytona 500. Uh, Trust me, if I could switch resumes with him, I would, in case I ever had to write one. Um, but uh, he's just uh, hes a great talent. His time's coming. There's no question about it. He's usually getting wrecked out early and never even had an opportunity uh, you know, to, to be in the position that he was at, at the end of tonight. I think the one advantage that I had had is I've been in that situation so many times over the last 10 years that I knew where I wanted to be. And... Um, I'm sure mental notes have been made, and, and obviously, uh, you know, if, if it turns around the other way next year, uh, I'll, I'll congratulate him the same way. Well, I have been in this position to try to explain to my driver what <laughs> options are there. I thought Adam Stevens did a very nice job of laying out what Kyle Busch had for options. It was start up top with the help he had behind him and try to win the race, or start down bottom, perhaps more importantly, pinning the 22 behind him and letting his teammate in. So we know what Kyle Busch did. DJ, what would you do? Uh, there's no way that I'm going to let somebody in. I, I would be a bad teammate. Uh, I guess that's why I never had more than one. I don't think at any time, maybe that was the reason, but that I, you know, I, I admire Kyle Busch in so many ways. Uh, one of the most talented, if not the most talented race drive I've ever seen, uh, in, in my 62 years. But I think this was a terrible decision. You're in the position to win the one thing that you don't have right now and to, rely on someone else because the only way that he is going to pass the 11 by this scenario is to get help from someone else. If you line up beside him and going to race side by side, then he was probably going to take the top anyway uh, because he said that's where he wanted to be. But in, in that scenario, if you let him go ahead and choose the top, don't give him any options of getting down in front 
uh, then you can side draft. You can race him. Hope that you get the push back there. There's so many options that you have, but you put yourself in a box right here, depending on someone else pushing you and helping you and, and trying to make that happen. So I think it's unfortunate. I'm sure he'll look back on this many times. You just don't get many chances to win this race. Comes around once every year and to get yourself in a position uh, enough times to, to try to win it. So I hate that for him, but I think it's a wrong decision. I, I think we got to go back to the restart before. I think we need, okay. to, we need yeah. to go back to the restart before when, when Kyle had an option. Like, they didn't tell him what to do. Like, the, what I've heard so far from everybody was that with 10 to go, the deal's off, right? Race each other. They, Kyle took the bottom, the restart before. So see this restart before, before Kyle takes the bottom. Well, let's stop it right here. So look and see who's behind him. So you, he picked the bottom with the 34 and the 14 behind him. That gave the 11 with the 22 and the 24 in the top. That 24 was fast yeah, all yeah. day long. So, you know, it's easy armchair quarterback on Monday. But this really is where the Daytona 500 was won and lost, is picking the bottom on this restart. It gave the 11 car what he wanted. And then as this develops on, you look at this wreck. This is when Clint Boyer moves up in the 34 too quickly. Right there, Denny Hamlin, boom, caution comes out. Denny Hamlin's got the lead. So now we go to the last restart, and that's when we started talking about, okay, right. we're going to work together again. So I, it, it was a combination of things, and I personally think that you know, if Kyle Busch had it all over to do again today, which you don't have that luxury, you have to make a decision what you think is best at the time. But if he had to do it all over again today on that restart where he had the option, I think he would have taken the top if he had a chance to redo it. And when you heard Denny Hamlin talk about the experience that he's had in losing the Daytona 500 and restarting at the front of the race with only a few laps left to go, and he, he had put that away, and he wanted that outside I have a feeling that Kyle would have wanted that outside if he had a chance to do it again. Well, you mentioned experience. So, you know me, the crew chief, I like numbers. Starting in 2012, Denny Hamlin, fourth in the Daytona 500. 14th, second, fourth, first, 17th, and third. A lot of single digits. A lot of top five. Yeah. You mentioned the opportunity to win that race. Dale Jr., I, I didn't quite understand speedway racing. I was blessed enough to have Jeff Gordon. He handled most of it. When I got Dale Jr. as a driver and a lot of guys were riding around on the back, I had that conversation. Well, why don't we do that? And he said, listen to me. Every one of these races is different. The flow, how the passes happen. I have to be up front every time to know what move I need to win the biggest race. You talk about the experience of Denny Hamlin. He's been in the front two or three rows on the final restart six, seven, eight times in the last 10 years. That is a huge advantage. When we talk about rookie drivers and experience, we use all these buzzwords. Here's a clear case example of another reason why I happen to agree with both of you. You cannot give Danny Hamlin the lead with five miles left in the Great American Race when his numbers are that good. Yeah, I think that if, and I say, Denny was going to take that outside. If they would have just left it alone, not make any deals whatsoever, and just race with that, then I think you can live with yourself in that. They're going to just have to go on, but I think that Denny was going to take that. They gave him an option that was, you know, just like a gift. I, we're gonna, we're gonna he put didn't you out what he's, front. Thinking, you're, he's really gonna do it, right? Yeah. Like, like, yeah. <laughs> so we're gonna let you have the front, and then we're gonna make people pass you. He's proven he's one of the best at this. I don't know that he gets enough credit uh, for really how good he is at these speedway races. Uh, he does an outstanding job of maneuvering through traffic, and then he knows what to do when he gets in front. So I just would never have put him in that position. You know, again, let him make his decision. Then he didn't even have to ask for this to happen. They handed it to him. 
Yeah, and he's not the guy I think you what, what a race. Great race, a lot of speed. Joey Logano was in the picture, an emotional finish. But uh, listen, coming up, we're going to discuss why Joey Logano was upset with Michael McDowell. I had to watch the finish a few times, but it came clear to me that he had a good argument. I had a dream of winning the Daytona 500. It was as a driver, but I can I, know, I, I can tell you, I'm I'm more than thrilled to be with these guys and winning as a crew chief. I'm I'm just really happy to be here. Patience, 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 then chaos. <laughs> it was just it just kept getting crazier and crazier. You know it's going to happen. You look at the history of the last couple of these races. It's frustrating that uh, you know we we have to put ourselves in that position uh, to race this way. Um, yeah, you know, it's, it's had a big run with the 12 pushing and and uh, just barely nicked the 95 and he started getting you know sideways and I tried backing off and uh, yeah wrecked a lot of cars. Yeah, it wasn't anything intentional there. I talked to Paul. Um, just just a racing deal. He kind of tried to get to my right rear and it just sort of hooked me a little bit. We just lost fuel pressure and um, we came to pit road. It came back. We didn't change anything. Fired it up and, and went back and. Uh, uh, got back on the lead lap, got caught up in a wreck, had a pretty significant amount of damage, and we were just trying to get it fixed enough to make minimum speed. And uh, as more the race happened and more and more people wrecked, we found ourselves up front. Everybody talks about, you know, let's all work together, Fords work together. And, you know, I'm up front, and all of a sudden the Fords don't work together. So it is what it is, you know. I mean, um, as soon as he could, he put me three wide, and then he tried to clear himself, and he wasn't clear. And, you know, I hate it for him. I know that he wasn't he wasn't intentionally trying to uh, to do that. He was just trying to get every inch he could, but there was really nothing I could do there at the end. I just was surprised by the situation and what happened. Yeah, I, yeah, I thought that was going to be the plan. I, I would have thought, but uh, you know, it, it's part of it. I mean, he's he's racing too, I guess, and um, you know, it, it, we can't win these things alone. <laughs> we've, we've proven that uh, quite often, but uh, we did what we can do. So, you have an explanation of why he hung you out? I didn't really give him a chance to talk. <laughs> Didn't give him a chance to talk. I think Logano referring to Michael McDowell right there. Joey Logano had to be one of the favorites coming into the race. Won the 150 with a power move from, I think, third or fourth. Looked good all day long, but it was surprising he couldn't get things to go right on that last restart, but he seemed to be upset with McDowell because of it. Yeah, he just wanted a little bit of help from McDowell, but you could hear from McDowell. He was upset because he didn't think all the people were doing what they were supposed to do earlier. So we see right here they take off, and... And McDowell's kind of by himself at this point, but things change drastically as they enter turn three. Yeah, Joey Logano has a huge run right here, DJ, oh. and he's underneath the 18, and it looks like the 34, right? A Ford pusher. What could be better? But as it spins forward, it doesn't work out that way. No, I don't care if it's a Ford or whatever it is. That This is a situation. You've got the 18 hung out. You've got nobody right behind you. You get on the bumper on the <laughs> bottom with the 22 right there. And I like Michael McDowell, and he does a really good job of getting himself in position with equipment that's not quite as good as some of the others there but he did an outstanding job there. But as a driver, you just have to know the situation and what you're getting ready to encounter. I don't care what's happened the rest of the day. Uh, you, you put all of that aside. You can't be thinking about that. Right there, his move... I don't care if that would have been a Toyota or a Chevrolet. His move is to get on the bumper of that car in front. That gives both of them an opportunity to make a run at the 11 car. That, that's the key. It wasn't about him helping Joey. It would no. have been that that was probably in his best interest yes. to try to push because the 18, he was hung out by himself. He had zero help from behind. They may both could have cleared him, would have given Michael a little bit better chance to win. So, and, and, and Joey's part, right? 
you always get mad when the guy behind you doesn't push you. I mean, how many plate races that you left and you're mad and everybody's mad at somebody. So this isn't the only time that somebody got mad at somebody because they didn't push them. Well, the crew chief at a speedway race is very frustrating because once you make your last pit stop, you truly are just a passenger. But we talked in the first segment about Denny Hamlin's experience in those last two, three, four rows. You mentioned Mike Newton. He does a great job in a car that perhaps we know isn't as fun to like those front runners. But, guys, do we have to think just not having the experience in those speedway races? I know he runs well to speedways, but not been put in this position enough to know? Or you think it was just a simple mistake? So I, I, think, I think it's even more complicated than that. If you're, if you're Joey Logano, you're going into the Daytona 500 to win the race. Period in the story. But if you're Michael McDowell, you got to be having a little bit different picture. you got to be thinking a little bit big picture. This is a day where you can earn points for a team that you probably don't have as good of an advantage when you go to Atlanta Vegas, other races that are coming up. So the mentality going into the race for a team that doesn't have the funding that some other people is a little different. Like if he, if Michael McDowell drives his car the way Joey Logano drives his car, he's probably not going to finish in the front because yeah. you probably doesn't have the same speed that Joey Logano has. So you know you got to keep, you got to kind of wrap it all up. Michael McDowell, I know he wants to win a Daytona 500. Don't get me wrong, but driving for a team that doesn't have the funding, your what you consider successful is different. Than, you, than it is when you drive for Penske. Yeah, and let's say this, too. It, these decisions are split-second decisions. Yeah. It's easy to yes. sit there and watch TV and see everything develop. He's focused on what I need to do right now. I've got one opportunity, one move to make. Sometimes you make the right one. Unfortunately, yeah. in my opinion, this was the wrong move, but he still had a great day. Well, we're picking on Michael McDowell at this point, but that lot went down in that final restart. We just showed you the short version. Let's go through this last two laps, guys. Right here it all starts. We've talked about it already. The team orders the 11 down in front of the 18. It lines up the Joe Gibbs racing cars. But I don't think it's over. I mean, I changed a bunch of times who I thought could win the race. And it starts right here with this shove that the 18 gets off turn two. Well, I thought right here the 18 was in great shape. You can see the 22's got a big push on the 18. The 18 clears the 34. Now, I think that they're in great shape, and now the 22 is getting close to clearing him. I thought the 18 would have a great push right here. Yeah, and I think Logano, I think the damage he had on the right rear was hindering him, or left rear, uh, was hindering him some, but he got a great push, and I think Kyle Busch maybe thought right there was his chance. Denny was ready for everything that they were going to do, though. Well, now it goes from Kyle Busch to Joey Logano as they exit turn four right here. When Joey Logano hangs a left and gets to that quarter panel of Kyle Busch, in my mind, this is going to be game over. Joey Logano's going to win the Daytona 500. Look at this run right here that Joey gets. The 18 tries to block him. Kyle tried to block him, but there was so much momentum from the 22. He couldn't slow him down. Watch the 18. He goes to try to go to the bottom. He jumps way up the racetrack. Now the 47's clear, and I think the 22 is going to win the race, but he just never got the push he was hoping to get. Yeah, at this point, I was really surprised that the 34 got the run to even get in the position that we were just talking about to go down there and push the 22 and get himself in a position for at least a top three finish here. Well, we highlighted right here Michael McDowell's choice why Joey Logano doesn't like it is the same reason why Denny Hamlin loved it. Because look at Denny Hamlin. He now has two car lengths on two cars side by side. It's easy to see where the momentum's coming from. A lot can go down in five miles. But Denny Hamlin played it perfect, right? He picked up every run. Got a little fortunate. I'm not going to call it lucky. Fortunate because you don't get lucky to run for four no. hours at Daytona. All those wrecks. There are so many different ways to win and lose that race. The other thing is, and you, you and I have both been in this situation, and you on the pit box, your heart rate is a little different with two to go <laughs> than it is with 400. I mean, it is crazy the how 
pumped up. And, oh. and I mean, it, you cannot describe because on top of winning the Daytona 500, having that opportunity, you're pretty sure you're gonna get wrecked too, yes. right? It's like yeah. it's just how it is. So that so when like if you ever looked at a heart rate monitor, it's nuts in those last two or three laps. So the decision making that has to happen. You said it a minute ago, it's easy to sit here and watch a replay and say, well, I'd have done this. Well, get yourself in there going 200 when you got to make a decision like that with everything on the line. That's why it's so difficult. And that's why watching those last two laps, yeah. we can talk about how Denny Hamlin coasted to a win. Anything but. Right. Anything. Every, he had to do everything exactly right. Yeah, I said in that first segment that they literally handed it to Denny. But I, I say that because I know how good he is out front. Yeah. That, that was literally giving him uh, the range to the whole thing. How about Eric Jones, too, the job that he oh, did man. with a torn-up <laughs> race car and everything that they'd been through uh, to come up through there and the moves that he made. Amazing. We talk about breaking it down on Monday. I won a lot of races as a Monday crew chief. They <laughs> oh, just yeah. never gave me a chance to go back and redo it. But that was yeah. the last restart. But I'm going to tell you, coming up, we're going to talk about Danny Hamlin's day, the entire day, and the turning point which led him to a second Daytona 500 victory. First of all, he already threatened to bill me for the car I wrecked in the clash <laughs> practice. <laughs> That's a side story. Nobody That's was okay. supposed to know. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is Harley J. Earl Trophy number two for Denny Hamlin. Can you believe it? Number, you get, well, A, you got to find a spot in the garage, but B, you asked Joe for the car. You have no more room in your garage at home to put a car. What are I you talking about? Room. I can build room. I can make room. <laughs> and this is the only thing Michael Waltrip had on me was having oh, two. Okay. So, so no, it's, a, it's great to be in the same class with those guys. It's just amazing. And to, to have a one, two, three finish for Joe Gibbs Racing is amazing. Uh, we worked so well together there, really through the entire race and even on a green-white checkered. So, Thanks for my teammates and uh, thanks for my entire FedEx team for giving me a car that's capable of doing this. I want to get into the to the uh, little parts of the race in a moment, but I want to know the emotion of the night. How much did you spend? I know you spent the last month or so thinking about JD, but how much in this race in the car were you thinking about him? A lot. I mean, I was just think about his family. I mean, Melissa, I saw her here before the before the race started. I saw all of his kids here. Yeah, you can see him right there. It's yeah. just it's cool for them to be a part of it. I mean, the last time we were in Victory Lane here in 2016. JD was here with us, and, and now he's not. So, but his legacy lives long, long beyond him being here. And uh, luckily, with leading some laps there, we're going to donate a lot of money to that JD uh, Gibbs Legacy Fund. So, uh, and really encourage everyone to go out there, and look up JD, and what what his legacy is. All right, let's talk about the the tactics of the race. So the deal was on all evening long with, between you and Kyle. Then it was off. You waved it off, said we need to race from now on. Then it was back on for the final restart. Why? Yeah, I, I, I gave it, you know, really our original deal was, you know, we're going to race inside 10 laps to go. After that, let's just, you know, let's race heads up. And I thought that, you know, it could be possibly be our final restart with the second to last restart. When I, and so when Kyle chose the bottom, I was secretly really happy. I was like, man, I mean, my playbook always says you got to have the top. I've been on the bottom on the final restart uh, many, many times, and it just has not worked out. I mean, really, I've only won one of these before tonight uh, of the four times I've been on the front row on the final restart. So I knew that no matter what, it says, no matter what, be high. And when he gave me that opportunity to go high, it was a, I knew it was a game changer for us. 
I got, I got some bad news. You're going to have to change crew chiefs every year because Mike Wheeler, new crew chief in 2016, you win this trophy. Chris Gabehart, new crew chief yep. in 2019, you win this trophy. There's something well, with that. Well, I told you, in the Super Speedway, they can just hop on. Just hop on the, <laughs> hop on the back or we'll take you to the victory lane. But Yeah, he said, no. you said, put me, I'll yeah, take me in your backpack. Just come on. Come on with me. But I'm, I'm going to lean on him for the next 35 races. So it's good to be, uh, I guess we're locked in the playoffs. We, we got are locked yeah, in. There's a lot of good things come with winning this race today. Well, after last year when you didn't win, I mean, you know this how tough that was through the months of July and August. Everybody asking, are you going to make the playoffs? Are you going to be in? Are you going to, you know, that's a tough time to now be locked in. It's a different world. It is. And, I mean, we were going to race with caution to the wind anyway. But, you know, now this just uh, this lets us really you know, throw caution to the wind, go out there and try to get as many victories as we can. I, I said five before the beginning of the year. I don't know that I was necessarily counting this one, so maybe we move it to five and a half. Yeah, he told me Wednesday, so now we're five and a half. He would be five wins this year. There are already three bottles of champagne have been popped. Uh, I, I, I told everyone we're going to hate tomorrow, but we're going to enjoy the rest of our lives. <laughs> I was going to say I have a feeling there will be more champagne for Denny Hamlin and this whole FedEx team. Well, I suggest celebration should be in order, but, you know, they bring up something. I know we talk it's the Daytona 500, the biggest race, but it is the first race of the season. What's it mean for someone like Denny Hamlin who went winless last year to get that monkey off his back, and more importantly, playoff berth this early. Well, I think it's huge. I think for confidence, it's huge. New crew chief, Chris Gabehart, that's his first Daytona 500 win. Now they're off and running. Now they, hey, this is, I got this crew chief I wanted, and, and it worked. See, give me my guy, it'll work. And now that matters. Confidence matters. And I don't care who you are. When you go through a year where you don't win and you go through a year where you don't compete at the level that you expect, it, it wears on you. And I, I mean... To, to be anything but concerned would just be arrogant. And, and you know, to get off to the Daytona 500 and have a win early, I think it's huge. Yeah. Well, you're the topic of the discussion, so I'm not going to let you answer because after the race, Denny was asked, very interestingly, tying DJ. So he was asked about his place alongside our resident Hall of Famer. Now that you've tied Dale Jarrett now on the 20, 20, excuse me, 24th all-time on the wins list, is that something you take a look at or just kind of comment on what that means to you? Wow, he's so much better than I am. Uh, yeah, I don't know. That's amazing. Um, never really thought of it thought of it that way. Um, those are guys that, I mean, I idolized growing up. I mean, I'm, I should be mentioned in the same breath as Dale Jarrett. So it's uh, crazy that, uh, you know, we, we have the stats that we do. I never would have thought it, you know, in the 14-year career that uh, I'd have one Daytona 500 champion. I wouldn't have dreamed I'd have 10 wins. I wouldn't have dreamed anything. Uh, that, that's been accomplished, but certainly, um, you know, won't take it for granted. Well, that's very nice, and I appreciate the words, but, but this, I don't think sometimes we either don't give him enough credit or forget just how good Denny Hamlin really is. And I'm not saying it's because of what he just said about me. I appreciate that. But let's think of all the big races, different types of racetracks that Denny Hamlin has won at. That, that's a true chance. Yeah, he doesn't have that, that cup championship trophy yet. He'll, he'll get that, I believe. But he's won. You talk about Darlington, Pocono, two Daytona 500s, all of these races, road courses, short tracks that he's dominated. He's just won at every type. He's just so very talented, but he's really, really good at these places. And he talked about studying and, and understanding what he needs to do. If he's going to do that on top of that, I thought he just studied his golf swing. I didn't realize he was <laughs> studying the restarts of these races, well, too. I, mean, I will good. say, from my time on top of the pit box, Danny goes into that list of drivers you don't want to battle against. I mean, it's a lengthier list, but you have your Kevin Harvick's, Kyle Busch, 
Jimmy Johnson, Denny Hamlin. Those four really come to mind. They're not the drivers you want to line up against because you rarely see a mistake. You know, there's a lot of very talented drivers, but in my opinion, that's where it separates them, right? Who can close out the deal? Uh, it's a lot like golfers. You mentioned golfers, right? A lot of guys can lead the first three rounds. Who can lead on Sunday when it matters? Danny Hamlin, he's that big moment guy, whether it's Darlin. I mean, you mentioned the big races. I mean, his resume is very impressive. I mean, I in my mind, there's no doubt that this is the maybe, not that he needed one more step, but with two Harley J. Earls, two-time Daytona 500 champ, I think there's no way he doesn't get a name in the Hall of Fame at some point. I, well, I think when he when he had his best chance to win a championship, you know, it didn't go well for him. And, and a lot of people, you said, well, he folded or whatever. You know, listen, I... You know, I, I think that's not fair. I think when you put yourself in position, things happen and don't, or they don't happen. But if you put, if Denny Hamlin gets himself in that position now, yeah. as maturity oh, as he yeah. is, I mean, he, he's going to be hard to guard. And you know, keep this in mind. And 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 you were talking about how good he's been. Well, it Dale Jarrett's 24 years to win that many races. Yeah. You know, Mark Martin, he's run 40 races. That was 30 years, right? right? 15 years. This is his 15th year. And he has that many wins, so he's done it quickly. And he's done a he's he, he is a premier driver, and you're 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 exactly right. He flies under the cover a little bit. We don't we don't put him in that category, but his numbers say otherwise. Yeah, yeah. I think people have taken that that one year that things didn't go good for him at Phoenix, and then at Homestead it didn't go his way. There are a lot of people that would love to be in that position that never get in that position to be able to say that 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 happened and did that. And, and too many times then. People want to label you as that. This man has proven twice that he knows exactly what it takes to win the Daytona 500, the hardest race for any race driver to win on the NASCAR circuit, and, and he's done that. But he's done so many other things, and uh, let's give him a do. Absolutely, he's going to be in the Hall of Fame uh, whenever that time comes. But he's got a lot more racing to do. I mean, this is still a young man uh, that, that's not 40 years old yet that can win races in championships. And, and keep this in mind. How many times have you heard the whispers Hey, you better be watching out for Christopher Bell coming. Yeah. How many times have we heard those whispers? I said it. I said right. the most pressure was on him of anyone in the field. So there you have it. And uh, uh, that's what happens. You know, yeah. Richard Childers told me one time, he said, you know how to prevent rumors? Win. Yeah. If you're winning, there's no rumors. And, and, and that's what happens. When you don't win, you know, you, all of a sudden, you're going to lose your ride. You're going to lose your sponsor. This guy's going to replace you, especially when you get to a certain age. People, oh, he's old. He can't drive anymore, right? That's what they always say. So if as long as you're winning, those, all those rumors, the, what the rumors then are, I already signed a new contract. Yeah, right. Well, I heard this guy wants to hire him <laughs> yeah. rather than you're going to lose your ride. And, and Denny Hamlin, first race of the year, kind of went, yeah, y'all might want to hold yourself on that. I still have winning left in me. Well, he did win the biggest race of the year, but he didn't do it alone. And we yeah. talk about Chris Gabehart, new crew chief on top of the pit box. Well, I look at the race that Denny Hamlin closed out. It was perfectly called from on top of the pit box, and that, in my mind, is the turning point to the Daytona 500. I know it's 200 laps, but I want to go all the way back, DJ, lap 108. We're not even to the end of stage two. Gabe Hart calls his car on pit road. He doesn't care about stage points. He cares about four fresh tires on a hot, slick Daytona track. You know, Steve, so many times we talk about these crew chiefs uh, at road courses running the race from the end backwards. That's exactly what happened here. He started planning for the end of this race with no tires. Yeah, why that paid off, Jeff, is here. This is the end of stage two. Gas only. As a driver, you have to love this, driving off pit road and seeing all those cars to the left still in their pit box. And I'm telling you, this is why it matters. You want to know what it's like to run the Daytona 500? Look at this. It'll make your head spin. Pretty decent start all the way down to 22nd when he got those tires. 
Then you see at the end of stage two, still 21st, but look at eighth. Why do I say that? At lap 163, he got six seconds of gas. That's it, no tires. Gave him track position in front of all of those accidents. The turning point of this race was before stage two ever ended. That's, that's every race. Every yeah. race that you watch, if you go back and you study, and you, there's always a turning point. There's always a point that a guy won the race. We look at the checkered flag. Oh, that's when he went. No, 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 no. It happened way before that. But then credit to Denny Hamlin. He did everything he needed to do to keep that track position. He didn't make a mistake. He, he, he did everything. He side-drafted. That was on that, on that restart where he was on the outside. Kyle Busch picked the inside. We could fault Kyle Busch and say he chose the wrong thing. But Denny Hamlin made it so that he chose the wrong line because he side-drafted that 18 huge and didn't let yeah. the 18 get away, got some help coming, and that's what cleared him of the 18. DJ, I always say when you start thinking you need to get track position – it's probably too late because somebody else has already <laughs> thought about it right there. Gabe Hart was, was in front ready. of everyone, got his driver up front. Well, up next, we're going to tell you the big name that will be on tomorrow's Dale Jr. Download. Here we go. The gate drop in Texas. Here they come into the whoops. Webb tries to get inside. Oh, contact to the line. It's Webb. Cooper Webb beats him to the line. Unbelievable. Dang on, that was sweet. <laughs> I mean, that was historical. <laughs> the engines have fired. The offseason is over. We are green to open 2019 at Daytona. Here they come through the trial. Annette going side to side. He's blocking. Here is the checkered flag. Michael Annette, first career victory. It comes out of Daytona. Awesome job, guys. Awesome. Put the Chevy in victory lane for these guys that always believed in me. It's, uh, it's amazing. It hasn't sunk in yet. Can't wait for it, too, because this part's already awesome. Ralph Shaheen, I thought he was going to come out of the booth in that oh. Supercross race. <laughs> yeah. But then, uh, so here's what's happening this week. NASCAR America, Dale Jr. download tomorrow. He won the Xfinity race. Jeff, it's a good week for Dale Jr. A really good week. Get to talk to Tony Stewart tomorrow. Then I'm on Splash and Go. I get to interview Ryan Priest, a guy I love talking to. We get to talk race with Ryan tomorrow for Splash and Go. Well, and then the fans are going to be totally confused because I'm on Motor Mouse with Kyle Petty, and people can Whoa, never keep us separate anyway. So please cool. call in because i got to have some questions for KP. <laughs> <laughs> Don't need voice recognition. Is what you Everybody <laughs> survived that. Then on Thursday with the Motorsports Hour, get to all kinds of motorsports. But interview with the Indy 500 champion Will Power, that should be pretty cool. So my question is, what in the world is Dale Jr. and Tony Stewart going to talk about that we could show on TV? Because, I mean, you know they got some stories. This well, will have to be edited. Well, they talking, yeah. <laughs> they're going to have to really condense everything that they talk about to be able to get it into an hour show here. I know that much. Oh, I can't wait. You know, surprisingly enough, though, when I was looking through the Daytona 500 stuff, Tony Stewart has the, led the most laps in the Daytona 500 without winning it. I would have lost that bet. You, I mean, I think that just reminds us how important that race is, that somebody like Tony Stewart, I mean, a true icon, he's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer, I'm assuming, never was able to win the Great American Race. So I, I think every career, no matter how many races you won or lost, there's always something that you didn't accomplish. Didn't now, some more than others, but there's always yes. something. For Tony, it happened to be the Daytona 500. For me, I have a lot on the list. There's a lot of things. But 
For you, I mean, there's, what was the one thing? The that, Southern 500. There yeah, you go. never won the Southern 500. Won at Darlington, but never the Southern 500. So there's always something. We're always wanting more. Everything that we don't have, you know. But, but yeah, it's crazy as good as Tony Stewart was there uh, at Daytona that it just never lined up for him to win the 500. Well, you mentioned wanting more. Well, after the break, we're going to talk about the winners and the losers from Sunday's Daytona 500. There can only be one car in victory lane. How did everybody else fare? This week on Wednesday Night Hockey, it's a star-studded doubleheader. At 7.30 Eastern on NBCSN, Patrick Kane and the Blackhawks face Dylan Larkin and the Red Wings. Then at 10, Patrice Bergeron leads the Bruins out to our favorite town, DJ, out to Vegas, where they're going to take on the Golden Knights. Well, we talked about the winner of the Daytona 500, but there was a lot of good stories down in Daytona. I don't think you can look very far without looking at Ross Chastain, the winner he's gone through. Thought he had a full-time Xfinity ride. It got taken away from him with some sponsor situations getting closed down. I mean, I'm not sure he did anything wrong the entire time he was at Daytona. Just had a solid speed week. Yeah, he really did an outstanding job uh, in the Xfinity race on uh, Saturday. He was, did a good job running up front. And, and then Sunday to come out here and get his uh, best finish. Uh, just did a really good job of keeping things there and, and in the hunt. In the truck race as well. Saw yeah. him up front in the truck race. Uh, my man went from not having many rides to having more than he knows what to do with. At triple duty. Triple duty. <laughs> that alone is winning. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. No. I was happy to see Ross run up front, but it wasn't just Ross. There were some other organizations that needed good runs, and some had some. Yeah, Hendrick Motorsports. You know, I think that we all probably beat them up pretty bad last year, and they'll be the first to admit they had uh, an off year for them, but I think they came back. This year, uh, put, had fast race cars at Daytona. The drivers did an outstanding job. They didn't have the best of luck uh, when it came to the Daytona 500, but they performed at a very high level. Think that that's going to lead to good things for them. And, and they need it, man. They need they need some they need something good to happen. Uh, William Byron, I think he needs something good, and he was a lot of the show on Sunday. Yeah. He was always forcing the tempo. Did not look like a rookie out there. Had a very fast race car. Not the day they wanted as far as the end of it, but I think there's a tremendous amount to build on from William Byron. And right there, huge thing. It had nothing to do, could have done anything, got stuck behind the 20 with his problems, and that was a huge role in the race. Yeah, it was kind of what set him up to for failure uh, towards the end with putting uh, because they pitted after that. They lost so many spots and then ended up in uh, a couple of the wrecks. Yeah, that's, I think, why they're listed as the losers of Daytona, just because they got caught up in the wrecks, not their performance. One driver, though, I'm not sure if it was a positive or a negative. Jimmy Johnson had an up-and-down week down in Daytona. I mean, it started with... Winning the clash, controversial, then having an accident in the 150s. And how about this, DJ? <laughs> On pit road at pit road speed, this is definitely not your type of weekend when you get run over here. You know, you're just doing your job. You know, you've got down to pit road speed, and all you're doing is looking ahead, and all of a sudden you get run over from behind. But, you know, these are the crazy things that happen in the sport. And he was a lot of the talk. Yeah. <laughs> You don't in the say. first two races. <laughs> Why does he keep hitting people, right? Yeah. So, you know, then then on Sunday, as luck would have it, you get run into. That's just the way things go. So I'll say like. one thing, though. I was down there Saturday walking through the cup garage. Last year, with the pressure, the lack of performance, I didn't see a lot of smiles out of Hendrick Motorsports camp in general. Saturday, I ran into Alex Bowman, pretty chirpy. I ran into Chad Knauss, working on the race car, big smile on his face. So... I think that's a lot of positives and optimism. We'll see if it pays off when they get to Vegas, but there's definitely, uh, excuse me, Atlanta, but there's optimism. It's interesting you said that because I thought the entire garage 
had kind of a little, I don't know what it was. It, you know, normally it's very tense, like, oh, it's a Daytona 500, but the entire garage seemed to be a little more uh, upbeat. I'm not sure what was going on, and, but it was, it was more relaxed than what I can remember. But, you know, some other guys that I thought were winners, uh, I, I think we have to talk about Ryan Priest. I mean, Ryan Priest, yeah, you sure. know, we saw him there late in the race. He did a great job of missing that wreck. Uh, his first full-time year of, of, of driving a cup car to come with a new situation to leave here in eighth, build some positive momentum. Now it's going to get more difficult. There's no question as they move to Atlanta, can this team perform like they did at Atlanta, like they did at Daytona? Can they perform at Atlanta? The pressure is going to get higher for him, but but a really good start with his with this new team. Yeah, he's so very talented, uh, but you can just see there a little inexperience at the end. He wasn't exactly sure what to do, where he wanted to be, but gosh, experienced drivers have been in that situation too, but uh, really, really pleased to see that and really happy for him because this is a young man that's worked hard to get himself in this position. And Matt DiBenedetto, oh, like, man, he <laughs> Wow. <laughs> like, when he called the pack, uh, you and I were texting each other, when he called the pack, when he was la- trying to laugh those guys, I'm like, Excuse don't me. laugh them, don't yes. laugh them, leave right, them alone. Right, but, right. but he was digging, man. I mean, you could see, like, when you take a guy that's not used to leading laps, and you give him laps and you put that guy in the front, he's going to force the tempo. Yeah. And that's what we saw from him. He got those lap cars and he was like digging. He was juking and jiving. I think eventually they said, hey, man, just, just get, <laughs> get back behind them. We don't need to be involved in this. But he was really fun to watch. Yeah. Now, is this something that's going to happen every week uh, with this driver and team? Probably not. But I think that they have the opportunity to do some really good things. This is a driver in Matt that has always performed at a higher level than the equipment that he has been in. And now they have these Toyotas. They're moving in the right direction. And he's going to show. I think he's going to open some more eyes with some really good runs. But what a great job of driving he did yesterday in every respect. You know, it's unfortunate what happened because I really wanted to see. I thought that he would be somebody to watch at the end to see what moves were they willing to make, was he willing to make to try to win the Daytona 500. Well, unfortunately, guys, it wasn't just racing from the news out of Daytona. The NASCAR community lost one of its own on Saturday with the artist Sam Bass, probably best known for his colorful art and his wonderful paint schemes, always dedicating his time to depict some of the best moments in the sport. And DJ, just not a great artist, but just a great human being. Yeah, I think, Steve, we talk about the talented people around our sport. This is one of those in his profession that what he did and always had a great smile to greet you with. Yeah, Sam Bass will surely be missed in the NASCAR garage. Guys, it's time to showcase some pit crew all-stars. On Sunday, tire chainers Brianna Daniels and Brianna O'Leary both pitted for the number 52 car driven by Cody Ware. In doing so, they became the first female graduates of the NASCAR Drive for Diversity pit crew program to go over the wall in Daytona for the 500. Congratulations to both of them. That's a big moment. Big moment for sure for the sport. That was pretty cool. But guys... We somehow made it through an entire another Monday show without doing anything too silly, but that means <laughs> we got over to yet. Yeah. I know, I know, I'm a little Good nervous, time. but hey, last segment, shout outs. That's what we got to do in our last segment. DJ, you have the floor first. What's your shout out from Daytona? Hey, how about Joe Gibbs going back to where it all went? In 1993, Joe didn't know what to do after we won the Daytona 500. None of us did because we'd never done that before. But Joe and, and Norm Miller uh, and Tommy Miller from Interstate Batteries, they went to stake and shape. Now, with Denny winning again, what did they do? They take the Daytona 500 winning trophy 
and go to Steak and Shake, and I think the driver showed up too. So they know how to celebrate and where to do it. Great burgers there. I'm going to tell you right now, I don't need a good excuse to go to Steak and Shake. So I take any. So <laughs> I'll take a little Steak and Shake for sure with a little Daytona 500 trophy. I love it. I just love the reaction. Can you imagine being a fan that went to the Daytona yeah, 500, drive down the street? Yeah. And, I mean, I wonder if they, you know, every time they see a driver outside a fire suit, they're not quite sure, but I think the trophy would have tipped them off. <laughs> kind of gave it away there, yes. Yeah. Just in case anybody wondered. Yeah, hey, my shout-out's going to go to uh, the drivers and the teams because, you know, all week long we heard, oh, the Daytona 500 is going to be single file. It's not going to be exciting. Wrong. We had a great Daytona 500. The drivers got up on the stick from the time they dropped the green flag, and, man, they went after it. And we as fans, we're the winners for that because that's what we want to see. We want to see our drivers getting after it. And, and the rules package that was so criticized for a week, it was nothing wrong with the rules. It was just the situations were different. And when, it, when the situation got right, these drivers got up on it, and it was so much fun to watch. And listen, a lot of people complained about the single-file 150s, and that's fine. They were very single-file sure. qualifying mm-hmm. races. I know a lot of guys are disappointed with the accidents, but you can't have one without the other. Good racing is going to happen, and you're going to have big accidents. Would I much rather have seen 40 cars finish the Daytona 500? Absolutely. But in my mind, thoroughly entertained for 200 laps. It was some crazy racing and good racing. And the stages, I thought, broke it up well. I know that's a conversation people have about the stages, but I like how it broke it up. It kind of changed, and we haven't even dug into the old Toyota working with Chevrolet. There was a (laughs) lot going on on Sunday. There was a lot going on, but the drivers did an outstanding job, and uh, you talk about that. When you put half the field out there for the duels and things like that, it just things aren't going to happen the way that you want. And in the duels, you're trying to make sure that you've got that car for Sunday, too. So you're not going to be as amped up as Jeff was talking about a while ago when it gets down to winning the Daytona 500. We said it. The first lap, we saw that bottom lane work, and Jeff texts me, he goes, it's going to be a good day. It's going to be a good day. He was all excited. It was, like, all... yeah, it was like three laps. They were still, like, the bottom was rolling. I'm yeah. like, yes, it's going to oh, work. Yeah. It's going to yeah, work. That was so great. much fun yeah. to see. Hey, guys, I have to give one more shout-out. Today, February 18th, uh, is my parents, Ned and Martha Jarrett, their 63rd wedding oh, anniversary. So, right. congratulations, Mom and Dad. Absolutely. Absolutely. Happy anniversary to yeah. the D- Jarrett's. Well, that's going to do it for us. But, guys, I think this is only appropriate. As we say goodnight here from NASCAR America, we're going to give retiring race director David Hoots the last word. Dale, it's good to have you back out in front of the field. Glad to have you here, Dale. Thank you for everything you've done, David. It's been a pleasure to work with you. Put it out. Put it out. Three off of two. Put it out. Turn two. Turn two. Put it out. Turn three. Turn three. Great job today. Great job all week, week. It's been a pleasure working with you. Really nice job, James. Thank you. Thank you, David. This Father's Day, the Home Depot has same-day delivery on the perfect gift to help Dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. Let the Home Depot help power Dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. For everything Dad is, find the perfect gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Order select and stock items by 4 p.m. subject to availability.